Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Today I want to talk about, there was four S's. The first one, solitude and silence. And I want to talk today about the Sabbath. I want to talk about living a simple life. And I want to talk about slowing down. Because they're the four things that Jesus found himself doing that we can observe from his life. It's going to help you. It's going to help me. How many of you want to slow your life down just a little bit? Is there any? Okay, good. Okay, some of you are quite happy at the pace that you're living, and that's cool. So let's talk about the Sabbath today. What Pastor James have just done, the Seventh Day Adventists? No, but I want to talk about something. I want to talk about something that Jesus practiced. Because I want to practice what Jesus practiced. It worked for him, it's going to work for me, and it's going to work for you. So I'm not talking about being legalistic. But I'm talking about the biblical meaning of Sabbath today. And you'll be shocked when you understand the depth of what Sabbath really is and how God designed it. Did you know it's the only commandment that he qualified when he gave the Ten Commandments? None of the other Ten Commandments he qualified, but to keep the Sabbath, he qualified it and gave instructions around it. And also, he, it was the only other thing that he blessed apart from men and women and creation and the plants and food. He also blessed the Sabbath. What are, plant, what are plants and people able to do? They're able to procreate. What will happen to your life when you keep the Sabbath? There's going to come creativity and procreation out of your life in such a way that it will bring a greater level of freedom to you today. So, of course, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. You know what it means? This is what it means. It means to stop. It means to stop. How many of you, come on, seriously, how many of you find it hard to stop in life? How many of you are like, you're running at 110 miles an hour, and you know, for me, if, 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 for me, the old me, Ahan, the old me, for me, the old me by faith, like, we'd go on holiday, and it would take me three days. And it's really maddening when you've only got seven-day holiday, and it takes you three days to slow down. You know, and you catch up with yourself. Oh, you think, oh, this is great. Then you're going to go back to work. But that's, that's symptomatic of the fact that we haven't learned how to stop one in every seven. So God built the Sabbath into creation. Let's have a look as we move through, because I could define, if you have a look at this next graph here, you'll see, um, you'll see here's the symptoms of us not stopping and resting as God designed. Instead of restfulness, there's relentlessness. Instead of margin in our lives where we've got gaps in space to find time, there's busyness. Slowness, there's hurry. Quiet, it's just noise. Deep relationships, isolation. Time alone, we're just crowds, crowds, crowds. Delight, there's distractions everywhere. Instead of delighting in God, which is also a dual meaning of the word Sabbath, it means to, not only means to stop, but it also means to delight in God. Delight in God. 
You can't delight in God when you're running 110 miles an hour. It's an impossibility. You have to stop yourself in order to delight in the Lord. And he shall grant you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37. Uh, Instead of enjoyment, we find ourselves envying everyone and everything around us. Clarity, we end up confused. Gratitude, we end up living instead of a spirit of thankfulness under a spirit of greed where we just want more, more, and more. And it drives us into this hurry-sick world. Contentment, discontentment, trust, worry, love, anger, joy, melancholy, sadness, peace, there's anxiety. Working from a position of love, we end up working for love to be accepted instead of understanding we already are accepted by Papa God. And work is contribution. We end up work, working for accumulation and accomplishment. So no wonder Hebrews 4 says this, let us make every effort to enter into the rest. This is what I've discovered from my life. You're not going to be able to get off the treadmill just like that. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, make every effort to enter into the rest, because you're going to be pulled this way, pulled that way. And it's going to take you some effort to actually get to that place of stopping, that place of Shabbat, that place of rest and worship and delighting in God. So Jesus is in the cornfield with his disciples. They're picking cobs uh, off, off the corn. And the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, start accusing Jesus of breaking the rules of the Sabbath. And Jesus tells them the truth about the Sabbath. And if we get this today, if you get this in your spirit today, this is going to help you so much. This is what Jesus' reply was. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Did you hear that? The Sabbath was made for man. God designed you stop one in seven because it has benefits that will far outweigh any sense of overkill and productivity that you're carrying in your mind. I mean, the French tried to change a a six-day working week to a 10-day working week. Do you know what happened? The the, The economy bottomed out. The suicide rate went up, sickness went up, people were, and in the end they realized it was a failed experiment and studies all over the world have discovered this one thing, friends, and this is amazing, that you hit 50 hours a week and after 50 hours a week, your productivity starts to go down. So somebody working a 70-hour week will still only accomplish what somebody does in a 50-hour week. Why is that? 50 hours a week, six eights are 48 pretty much close to a 50-hour week, work six days a week, rest one day a week. Are you, are you with me, church? You understand where I'm coming from today? So Jesus built this rhythm of grace, taking the Sabbath into his regular, regular schedule. And he confronted the Pharisees and says, you're making this all about the rule book. You're making this all about legalism, about my disciples picking corn cobs off the the corn branches. You don't understand, friends. God designed the Sabbath for you, not the Sabbath for man. And so when, when we understand this and we begin to get this into our hearts, we begin to realize that when we don't take one in seven, 
we're actually working against the inbuilt design of God in creation. And we will soon feel the impact and the consequences of doing that over a long period of time. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? I mean, if God had to do it, how much more do we need to do it? Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from his work. Can I just say that again? God rested from his work. How much more do I need to catch that? Like a syncopated beat. One in every seven. God rested and he said, I've created a rest day for you so that you can rest, worship and delight yourselves in the Lord. Recharge your bodies, recharge your mental health and begin to break off the spirit of hurry sickness out of your life. And it's amazing when you start declining, when you start building towards that Sabbath, you are so looking forward to that Sabbath in your life. You're so looking forward. It's not just a day off. It's a day where we cease from striving. It's a day where we enter into a spiritual rest with God, which can dramatically improve our relationship with the Lord today. But I want to make one point on this before I move on to simplicity, and it's simply this. When the children of Israel exited Egypt, God gave them the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20. Fast forward 40 years of walking around in circles in the wilderness. They're about to enter the promised land. Moses re-gives them the Sabbath command. It's found in Deuteronomy 5. Except when, when God gave the Ten Commandments, he said, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. But now God elaborates through Moses and says, I want you to observe and I want you to keep the Sabbath. And here's the reason why. Because you've been slaves. Your parents were slaves. Your grandparents were slaves. Your great-grandparents were slaves. And do you know how the Egyptian culture thrived? Much on how much, much on how much of the clothing industry thrives today. Well, I'm really going to start treading on some toes this morning. Do you know how much of the clothing industry survives today? The same way the Egyptians built an incredible economy where to live the luxury life of a pharaoh, you had to have your minions who never got paid, who worked seven days a week. A slave does not understand what a day off means because a slave never gets a day off. A slave is used for economic purposes to build up the wealth of the Egyptians, so much so, did you know that the Egyptians literally had store cities? They were cities designed for one thing, storage. Cities designed to store all their wealth and all their excess goods. How did they do that? They did it through slave labour. And so this is, what, this is what God is now saying. They're about to enter the promised land. They've lived as slaves for 400 years. It's so driven into their mind that God reminds them again, for you to break the slave mentality where you've been working seven days a week, 52 weeks every year, where you, you don't even understand what a day off. I'm reminding you again today to observe the seventh day, to keep it holy, for it to be a blessing within your life so that you are resisting the spirit 
spirit of the slave culture of the day where people are driving, where there are slave driving employers who just will keep working their workforce to death for the sake of economic gain. He says, now I want you to build into your life one in seven. One in seven. And resist the slave mentality of your life and find a new way to connect with me. Isn't that good? Isn't that amazing? You know, when I was, um, one of my mates, I just met him again after, I don't know, 35 years. Uh, we grew up together, and, um, and his father was an engineer, and he made this awesome go-kart, motorized. And uh, when he first built it, uh, it went really fast. And my friend uh, would use all accelerator pedal speed until he actually nearly wiped himself out a few times. So his father wisely did something with the engine. He capped the engine's power by putting a governor on the engine. You know what a governor does? It restricts the speed at which that vehicle can travel at. This is what the Sabbath is for you and me. It's a governor where it restricts the speed of life that we're traveling at and helps us to slow down. Praise God. So the third S of breaking barriers to intimacy and breaking this hurry sickness is simplicity. Now this is a tough one for a lot of us here because of the culture that we have grown up in in New Zealand. New Zealand. Good Kiwi accent, New Zealand. Lynn from Tawa, New Zealand. <laughs> Do you remember her? All right, the older ones that will know who I'm talking about. So uh, let me just take a few things, because this is really a sermon or two on its own, but I want to just touch base because Jesus lived a very simple life. He didn't live a lavish life of luxury. He lived a very simple life. And part of the reason where we've been buried by hurry sickness is because we've set ambitious goals and dreams to do with stuff, to do with things. And in order to get the things, I have to push myself in order to make the money to get the things. So I'm having a go at no one here. I'm being challenged myself in regard the more I study the life of Jesus, the more challenged I become as I, as I put that plumb bob of the Gospels and measure it against my life. I often come up short in this regard. But here's a few of the words of Jesus. Luke 12, verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. What's driving the slave culture? Greed. A man's life, listen to this, your life, my life, does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. So Jesus is making a point here. If your life is about the abundance of your possessions, he's saying you're on the wrong track. He's not saying you shouldn't have things. So don't get me wrong here. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying if that's what your life is all about, 
then maybe you need to make some adjustments today. He went on to say in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's where we get it upside down. We chase all the things... And get sick doing it. And he said, no, no, no. Don't chase the things. I'll add the things to you if you put me first and prioritize me and my kingdom and put them in the first place. Those things will chase you. You won't have to chase them. Isn't that good? Praise God this morning. So Jesus says, work with me, walk with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, Jesus lived a very simple life. Matthew 8, 20. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Because some of his disciples were boasting, though everybody forsakes you, Lord, not me, not me, not me. I'll never let you down. And he's beginning to give them the reality of the life that he was living. I'm traveling around. I don't even know where I'm going to be sleeping tonight. He didn't book into the Hilton. Every night after he'd been preaching with his lavish expense account. Now he says, he says animals and birds have got a place to go, but I'm not even sure where I'm going to lay my head. It's the simple life. The simple life. What was that program that used to be on when I was a kid? The Good Life. Good life, great TV, great TV, clean, good TV. But it's about this couple, it's about this couple who have been living the corporate life and they decide to get off the merry-go-round of the corporate life. And they live next door to very wealthy corporate neighbours. Very la-di-da, beautiful British accent, never anything out of place. And uh, this couple decide, right, we're, we're going to give up the business life and we're going to grow our own vegetables and we're going to be self-sufficient and we're going to do all this. And so the whole series is about these two contrasts of these super wealthy neighbours and these people that decide they're going to go without the busy life and the high life and just all the inventive things and creative things they tried to do to make ends meet. It was hilarious. It was really funny. But there's a message in that for us today. Not that we follow in their footsteps, but they were on the right track in terms of getting off the merry-go-round and trying to get a life. Thank you, Jesus. So have a look at it. There may even be on YouTube for those of you that never grew up with it, and you will enjoy it. It's great humor. No swear words. Praise God. It's just awesome. So... Jesus never taught this gospel of greed and excess. I'm personally shocked at some of the theology and teaching I hear coming out of the Christian church in regard to this. Take a look at the one you're supposed to be following. Have a look how he lived his life. Now, God is not against wealth. I want you to... It's all about how you manage what you have been given and what has been placed in your hand to steward. But they say somewhere along the line, around middle income, somewhere around that area, you have more than enough to satisfy your needs, 
And anything over the top of that, you can then become the blessor to begin to contribute to society in a different way to what you may have done before. And uh, so there's been lots of studies of that. So, you know, he, Jesus never advocated being poor. He never advocated being poor. But around his teachings, there's clear construction about how we can steward what God has placed within our hands. And I've personally been in ministry now. This is our 32nd year. I've personally been the beneficiary of people who have much, who have blessed my wife and I over the years, as they've just seen us just keep plodding on with the gospel, keep, keep preaching, keep praising, keep walking with Jesus. But because I became a pastor so young, I've never had the opportunity of making lots of money in the corporate workplace. And so whenever I've needed something, God sends the right person along at that time to be a blessing to me. And in the meantime, even with what I have, God has taught me to, to be a blessing as well. It's not just that the wealthy are the ones that are supposed to bless. Jesus said, everybody needs to learn. He said, give and it shall be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Amen. And so he says again, he reminds us again today, a man's or woman's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do we ne really need those hundred pairs of shoes? <laughs> Do we really need 20 pairs of Levi jeans? Do we really need six cars and three boats? Five holiday homes? Do we really, do we really need all that? I'm sure we probably don't. And so, I mean, we, you know, some of you are saying, well, I'd like to try that lifestyle for a while. I, d I think I could make it work. But you see, simple living allows us to keep focusing on what is really important, what really matters, and not getting distracted by all the stuff. We're constantly sent messages. I want to tell you, numerous studies in Western context, they say this, that we are assaulted by between two and 4,000 advertising messages every day. Every day. And you know what the, I think find the amusing thing is? A lot of these messages, marketing messages, they have you lying by the pool with your pina colada, obviously on holiday, obviously in a place of rest, or, you know, relaxing in that new convertible, laid back, seat back a little bit, music going, you know, all this sort of stuff. Or that luxurious home in which the, the amazing thing is they advertise all this stuff and the people that are on it are obviously in a place of rest and relaxation. Isn't that a contradiction? Because the reality is we then see the advertisement and we go, I want that, so I'm going to work an extra 50 hours the next month in order to get it. And when you get it, you can never enjoy it because you're still working another 50 hours the following month because you've seen something else that you want to buy. And it really is a merry-go-round. So, wow. So we constantly send messages that we get our identity from the things that we buy or the things that we sell. I love this, this verse from Psalms 39, verse 6. We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. 
You fool, Jesus said. You fool, this night your soul shall be required of the man who had built excess barns to store all of his possessions. So please don't get the message, as I move on to the last point, please don't get the message that I'm against wealth or that the Bible is against wealth. The Bible is not against wealth. The Bible is all about whatever God has placed within your hand. Many people have a gift for making money, for becoming wealthy. Don't hate on them because God's given that gift. Don't get envious towards them because God's given that gift. Because at the end of the day, like all of us, we're all going to have to give an account of what we did with what God gave us. All of us. So lastly today, uh, slowing. 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 This is a new term. A new term that's been out for you woke people. This is a new term. That's another new term. I've just learned what that means. Woke. Okay, for you woke people, here's a new term for you today. Slowing. Okay, this is intentionally slowing down your body, your life. Slowing down uh, in, 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 a, in such a way as John Ortberg, who's a prolific writer, he gave a definition and he said it's like this. Cultivating patience... And I really struggled with this definition, I've got to tell you. I was squirming when I read this. Cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Is anybody else squirming with me this morning? <laughs> Can I, you're me and you, we're squirming together. <laughs> Praise God. So since I've been purposely trying to slow my life down, and a lot of this hit me during the lockdown. I was really confronted by my hyperactive lifestyle. And uh, God really got in my ear over lockdown. And I've since, since been making some changes. You can actually ask my wife and she'll say, he actually is making some changes. Um, and, uh, you know, like husbands, cherish your wives. <sighs> You don't bring me flowers anymore. <laughs> so here's some ways and means Jesus lived this life. There's no doubt about it. There's not one record where you get that Jesus is rushing. He hears his best friend has died. What does he do? He stays on for another two days. Turns up to Martha, Ma Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Where have you laid him? Raises him from the dead, out of the tomb. It's handy to have resurrection power on you for <laughs> situations like this. But the point is he never rushed. He never rushed anywhere. So he lived that slow-paced life. So here's some, ex here's some examples. Since I moved to Auckland in 2005, I've been a serial Lane changer. <laughs> Let me take you through my mind as I'm approaching the lights. As I'm approaching the lights, I'm looking for the, sh I'm scanning for the shortest queue <laughs> so that I can actually beat the person next to me through the lights. And so I will change lanes at the last minute, using my indicator, of course, change lanes at the last minute in order to get through that set of lights faster. 
is there anyone else like me here? Yeah, there you go. We're all serial offenders. Praise God. You just saved five seconds. So this is what I've tried to start doing. I'm trying, and it is trying. <laughs> Purposely get in the slow lane, and I'm doing really well driving that slow lane, except for when old grandma starts passing me on the right-hand side, I'm thinking, flip, I'm, this is it. I'm changing lanes. <laughs> Man, that takes patience. <laughs> to stop being a gunslinging phone carrier. The average person unlocks their phone 78 times a day for a total of two and a half hours a day. That's the average person. Millennials, double that. I've grown up with it. They don't know anything. They don't know any different. But here's the point of it is that we are absorbing every spare moment instead of having that little pocket of space to pray for someone, to start thinking about the people that God's brought into your life instead of continually catching up on your news feed, on your social media feed. You can change the pace and slow your life down by actually treating things. Don't put your phone. You know that 75% of people have their phone by their bed on their bedside cabinet and the first thing they do every morning is check their phone. 75%. (laughs) Start doing batch email. These are all things I'm starting to put into my life. So instead of having your notifications on all day for your email, turn your notifications off so that when that new email comes and goes, ping, ping, you've turned your notifications off, then twice a day clear your emails so that you're not continuously getting distracted by your emails. These are just some practical things. Here's another one. This one gets me in trouble. Walk slower. Can you stand up, honey, for a minute? We have a difference in leg height. So my hyperactive, high-speed walking has had to slow down in order to keep in step with these legs. Thank you for the purpose of... (laughs) So this is how that works. You know how that works, eh? Honey, honey, can't you walk just a little bit faster? I'm going as slow as I can. This is painful. Oh, well, if you don't want to walk with me, that's fine. You go and walk. You go and pray by yourself. You go and walk over there by yourself. I have a very straight shooting, talking wife that will tell me exactly how it is. Okay, second to last this morning, journaling, journaling, journaling. How many of you journal? How many of you would journal every day? Most days, most days, most days. that's, That's good good portion. This is what journaling will do for you. It makes you reflect. 
reflection is good. Reflection is good because reflection sorts out all the stuff that's running around in circles in your head. And you begin to find a place where you can begin to make changes because you've taken enough time to reflect on what needs to change. If you never journal or never stop to actually work out what's happening within your life, you'll just hurtle headfirst into the next disaster, the next disaster, the next disaster. Take some time. And a good place to start is to write it physically, pen and paper. Because there's something about etching pen to paper that actually help. I've graduated from pen to paper. I did pen to paper to slow myself down because I can type really fast. And so it was another thing that God was saying to me, no, nah, you're not going to type that fast anymore. You're going to slowly handwrite. And I'm going, after two lines, I've got cramp, Lord. I've got cramp. <laughs> so it's all about slowing down. And lastly, which is last but not least, and slowing process, your devotional life. If you put these four S's into practice, silence and solitude, the Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing down, if you put these into practice, your devotional life is going to go through the roof. You'll actually be able to follow a Bible reading plan. What's the normal practice for most of us? January the 1st. I'm going to read the whole Bible through every single day. I'm going to the whole Bible, and I'm going to read it all. And I'm going to read the New Testament twice. We hit March, and you realize you're 34 days behind in your Bible reading. So you give up. You give up, and then you, and then this is what often happens because of the pace we live our lives. We snack on the Word of God instead of read and study the Word of God. And when you snack on the Word of God, you're, that's all the nutrition you're going to get from that little snack. It's not going to be enough to really pull your life forward into the future. Could we stand to our feet this morning?